My prayer for us this morning is just simply the words of the song that we sang, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. We want to see you open our ears that we can hear. Give us tender hearts towards you this morning. So, it's my privilege to be back with you this morning. Uh, I thought I had preached from Isaiah last week, but apparently I preached from Isaiah. And you'll get used to that. Same guy. Um, I really consider this a sacred trust to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, in, in two senses. Firstly, that your, your eldership, your leadership would be willing to trust me to speak to the flock that God has given them to shepherd. That's a privilege. And secondly, because uh, I always count it something special when the Lord gives me opportunities to share from his word. So... Uh, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I know some of you weren't here last week, and uh, there will be some repetition, so I think you'll catch the gist of what we talked about last week. Um, The title of my message last week was Taking Stock, and we were in Isaiah chapter 6, and essentially we talked about God's holiness, and the application of that for us was how God has prepared us to prepare the way for him through our salvation and through making us holy, through sanctification. Uh, But this is one passage, so these two uh, messages hang together and are kind of interwoven, and uh, I know that you will be okay with that. The title the Lord gave me this morning was kind of uh, different, it was ready to rumble. You know, in my early years, when I was a teenager back in South Africa, I remember very vividly gathering around the radio. We didn't have TV in those days in South Africa. And, and getting together, it was early morning because of the time difference. And uh, that was the days of the big heavies. We used to listen to the, the commentaries about Joe Louis and Max Schmeling and and other guys who you probably only read about in the history books. And so boxing became a part of my um, uh, thinking, and I tried to do boxing in, when I was in my early teens, but I was a big guy and uh, did not realize that in boxing you don't get put with people of your age, you get put with people of your weight. So I always got stuck with the guys way older than me, and they'd beat the whatnot out of me. (laughs) So uh, I gave up boxing. But I still enjoy watching, and my wife Maureen, who's here with me this morning, uh, we also enjoyed watching. I remember us doing that in England, to listen to uh, Cassius Clay, or Muhammad Ali, or the king, whatever he called himself. And I often still ask myself, why do you like boxing? Why do you like boxing? But I learned a lot from boxing. Uh, I learned, for example, that the biggest do not always win. 
I learned that it's not just power and skill, but that preparation for the fight was a huge part of it. And if you're an athlete, you'll understand what I'm saying there. Mental preparation, physical preparation, uh, uh, so that you have an expectation, that you have confidence that you're ready for the fight. You need to have that. There was a referee uh, in later times, maybe around the turn of this century, whose name was Michael Buffer, and you may have heard of him. He became quite famous, and people would tune into the boxing to listen to Michael Buffer because he would introduce the fighters when they were ready to stand there, he would stand in the middle of the ring and say, are you ready to rumble? And everybody, I, you could almost hear it coming out of the homes all across the world. Are you ready to rumble? And that became quite a popular catchphrase. In fact, uh, I still use that to remind myself that you don't go into a fight, you don't go into the battle, you don't go into anything, in fact, unless you have prepared the way, unless you're ready to rumble. <laughs> and we talked about how God had done that for us. Uh, or we began to talk about that last week. So this morning I want to sh move on in the message from Isaiah. Uh, Last week we talked about the first seven verses of that, and I won't read them again this morning. Essentially, uh, this was the main theme of it, that Isaiah had seen the Lord high and lifted up in the temple, and it overwhelmed him. The holiness of God overwhelmed him. And he saw not only the holiness of God, but the sinful, his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of the nation of Israel. And, uh, and he said, I'm finished. I've seen God. I'm done. And God said, wait a minute. And one of the seraphim, you remember, came with a coal from the altar and touched his lips and said, your iniquity is gone and your sins are forgiven. So that's where we got to with that. And then Isaiah continues and he says in verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. Then, after this vision, after Isaiah had come to a place where he really understood God, who God was and who he was in God's uh, uh, how God saw him and that God had, had taken all that stuff that he felt disqualified him to be in God's presence away. And we saw that that was done for us through, through the cross, through Jesus. It was then only that Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord. Notice... Now he was in a place where he could hear God speaking. God did not initially say to him, go and tell this people. 
he was now up close listening to God. And he heard God say, I can almost see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with this huge plan they have to redeem man. And they're saying, well, you know, who are we going to send? Who will go for us? Now he realizes God's prepared the way for him. And he says, here I am. Send me. And God says, go and tell these people. Won't take time, but there's a sequence there that you need to understand. If you go to the beginning of chapter 6, it says in verse 3, he saw the Lord and the angels called to one another and the foundations of the thresholds trembled. Then I said, he had to see this first before he could come to where he was and then one of the seraphim came to him, the scripture says, touched his mouth and here in verse 8 it says, then I heard. See, we're on a journey. <laughs> this is a, something that happens as we become disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a journey that begins. It's not some kind of status or... Uh, well, just let me leave it there. I want to st I've stopped at uh, halfway through verse 9. And you might wonder why. Well, the reason is this, and it'll become clearer as I go on. The reason is that when God said to Isaiah, go and tell this people, God gave to Isaiah a very specific message for the people of Israel. And that's not as applicable, or it is not directly applicable today to us, but God has given us a clear the church, a clear and specific message, which we know as the Great Commission. So I want us to understand that when God says, go and tell this people, he's talking to us, the application for us, he's talking to this people and America and beyond. And I want to focus on this again this morning on how God has prepared us. His body has prepared the way for us so that we can prepare the way for him so that we're ready to rumble with the message that he's given us to deliver to we the people and beyond. Uh, let me ask you, how effective do you reckon the, ch the church has been in fulfilling this great commission in delivering the message that God has given to us and how responsive has the people been to the word that the church has given well we looked at that briefly last week and, and uh, Jerry mentioned some of that this morning but if we're honest, we would need to acknowledge that uh, we have become, as a church, less and less effective over the years as many Christians have increasingly adopted an unbiblical and secular worldview. Barna did another survey, uh, in, which was published in 
October last year, 2020. And one of the things he said was this, that 52% of evangelicals, that's us, we, we're in that box, 52% of evangelicals reject the idea of God's holiness. That's staggering. They reject God's values. They reject his standards. They reject his morals. They reject the fact that those things are relevant to our lives. In other words, 52% of the people who identify themselves as Bible-believing Christians have abandoned the Scriptures, the truth that's in the Scriptures. They reject the truth. No wonder we're, as a nation, where we are, morally. Somebody put it this way. Biblical Christianity is unpopular. Popular Christianity is unbiblical. And sadly, many, many preachers have chosen to preach the popular message. And many of those have attracted large numbers of followers, but the evidence, the fruit, reveals that they have not made disciples. The message has, in fact, in many cases, turned people away from God. That just breaks my heart. And I can imagine what it does to the heart of God. America's drifted, folks. The salt has lost its savor. The light on the hill has become just a dim glow. And one of the effects of this pendulum swing away from God and the scriptural truth is that uh, we're finding increasingly in secular America, in the culture out there, that there's animosity and even hatred against everything that, rep that is part of the Christian faith. And that has intimidated many Christians so that they are unwilling to share, even scared to share their faith. You know, many Christians have never, ever shared the gospel with another person. Some not even with their children. And they rely on the church and the pastors and the youth ministers and evangelists to do that for them. But, but I want to just stand here and say something to you. This is an unusual church. I've been in ministry serving the Lord for many years now, Churched in, uh, preached in many churches all over uh, the world, in fact. This church is different. And I'm not saying this to pat you on the back, because I see something happening here. God is doing something in your midst that is unusual. Most 
church startups like you are grow because disgruntled Christians, believers from other churches come there. But I've heard many of your stories, and that's not true for you. And so I command you, every one of you, keep on going on, following the Lord. Keep yourselves open to what God is doing in your midst. You know, you'll not easily make the choice to live a holy and godly life as we looked at last week. In fact, you'll be frustrated beyond measure in trying unless you recognize God's holiness and your own sin and yield to the cleansing work of the blood of Jesus on the cross and allow the Holy Spirit and the word of change to change you, to sanctify you, We saw that last week, and that's what I see happening in your midst. Like Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And that's the beginning of life in Jesus. Just the beginning. In fact, that's the beginning of life. Make sure I've got this the right way around. Cows don't give milk. And I can see some of your eyes rolling from here. When I was a veterinarian in in what's now Zimbabwe, uh, I was working on a farm, in a dairy farm one day, and talking to the farmer and the young people. His son was there with a friend from town, and, and he told me with great amazement that this friend of his son who'd never been on the farm before, wouldn't drink the milk because now he saw where it came from, where he came from and came in bottles in those days, cartons now. So he really didn't believe that cows gave milk. And so it's true, cows don't give milk. They have milk, but they don't just give it. They don't just give it In other words, as we saw last week, sanctification doesn't just happen automatically. It's totally the work of the Holy Spirit. We have to allow, if I can use that picture, we have to allow the, the Holy Spirit to milk the holiness of God that's in our spirit man and apply it to transform our minds and our emotions and our will with the Word of God so that day by day we become more like Jesus, holy as he is holy. Isaiah's vision prepared him, his revelation of God. In fact, it was the foundation for how he would deal with his future. Yup, King Isaiah had died, or would die, but the king was in the temple and on the throne. Let me tell you, the king is in the temple and on the throne. That's good news. Now, God works through people. He sent Jesus 
who became a people like us, like you and me. God sent Isaiah, and God hasn't changed the way that he works. He's not changed his modus operandi. Uh, he still works through people. So what God plans to do, he will do through people like you and I by his spirit. I've heard so many prayers in these times of, of hardness of people are saying, God, will you do this? Will you do this? And he says, no, that's not how I do it. I work through people. Paul explains it this way in his, in his uh, letter to the church in, Conf in Corinth. He says, we are ambassadors of, for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, and so we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. See, he works through people. He works through people. In John chapter 17, that prayer of Jesus that I will keep going back to, Jesus says to his Father, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. We are a sent people. And I'm going to say more about that later. In fact, that's my second point. I told you they were kind of uh, mixed up together here. But God never asks us to do anything, in other words. If, if, if we are sent into the world as in exactly the way that uh, God sent Jesus... And we are that kind of a sent people. It surely means that God will never ask us to do anything that he has not done. And it also surely follows that he will never ask us to say anything that he has, didn't say himself. You see, the message he's given us is his word. What he says and what he wants us to say, as Isaiah says, to do his work, his unusual task, to work his work, his extraordinary work. If we're going to follow Jesus, church, if we're going to be disciples and not just followers, we need to understand that this is going to be the pattern for us for the rest of our lives. From the moment we make the choice to follow him, to become his disciples. You know, I wish that had been preached to me when I was a new Christian. I thought it was about having my sins forgiven and going to heaven. I really did for too many years of my, my Christian life. And I have to admit too and say that I wish I had preached that as clearly as I'm telling you this morning. And remember too that Jesus said, all these things 
they will do to you for my name's sake because they d know the one they don't know, I beg your pardon. All these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. And this, this is the part we don't like about being disciples, about being followers. All these things is talking about persecution and things. And, and what we're finding and, uh, every day that you get onto Facebook or wherever you go these days, every day you're reading more and more about the fact that as America is becoming more and more secular and more and more unbiblical, this is happening right now in our midst. We better be ready for it. It's a lovely old hymn, uh, So Send I You. The second verse says, So send I you to bind the bruised and the broken, for wandering souls to work and to weep and to wait, to bear the burdens of a weary world. So send I you to suffer for my sake. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so also I have sent you. I'll come back to that. We're still in Jesus' prayer, John chapter 17. And Jesus prays for his disciples. I love this. This is just cool. You see, he prays in verse 9, for the disciples who are with him. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all those guys who were with him. He's praying for them. And then in verse 20, he goes on and he says, I, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me from their word. In other words, they got the message. The message was successfully delivered. He prays for those still to come. You know who that includes? Put your hand up. You and me. We're in that prayer. Isn't that cool? Jesus prayed for us. In fact, the scripture says he's always praying for us. He ever lives to intercede for us. That means Jesus is praying for Martin Luther and Billy Graham and, uh, and Jerry Williams and Maureen and Sam and Maddie and Cameron and Andrew and Chelsea who are here this morning. All of us, put your name in there. <laughs> we are those who believed in him through their word. Wow. Now watch. Here's part of his prayer for us. For the church, until he comes. In verse 21, he says, he prays to his Father that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may all they also may be in us so that the world may believe 
that you sent me. So Jesus is explaining the reason why God has given us this message so the world may believe that God sent Jesus. And so, if in reality, Jesus prayed that we would be able to clearly deliver the message that we were given. Now listen to this. Did you hear that? We, Jesus prayed for us that we would be able to clearly deliver the message that we were given. And I believe that because Jesus prays that, we can do it. If that doesn't encourage you and give you hope, I'm not sure what will. You see, in Christ, you are prepared and ready to rumble. Well, you, it's okay to get excited in here, Jerry? Sorry. So you and I can have confidence and courage in 2021 and always to boldly preach the the gospel, not, as Paul says in, in Corinthians, in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the power and of the Spirit, not because we've had all the evangelism, not training, not because we have all the best technology. Now, we need those things. We need those things to prepare us so that we can go and do the task and take every opportunity uh, that is presented to you. But we, it's because Jesus said we could do it. And he has our backs when we go. When Isaiah heard God asking who would go, he said, here am I. Send me. And God said, Go and tell this people. Like Isaiah, the church has a message from God. We have a life-giving word from a holy God. Basically, that's my first point. <laughs> and, and this word, you know, has been... Uh, presented in the scriptures to us in, in many different forms. In 2 Corinthians last week, we saw that it means to be reconciled to God. Uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, and there are many, many other different ways. But Paul goes on to describe that the, what this message is supposed to accomplish, or meant to accomplish in the hearts of whosoever, will receive it when he says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you see that that is exactly what Jesus said, prayed, would happen? that the whosoever's, you and I, would come to a place where we recognize what God has done for us and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. Mission accomplished. 
well done, good and faithful servant. We've been commissioned with a clear message that we are to tell this people. It's the good news. It's the gospel. It's the truth. It's a message that is a word from a holy God, a message that sets people free from sin, a message that reconciles people back to God. It's not user-friendly. It's not politically correct. And it's not to be massaged or changed to be accepted or popular. It's the uncompromised, unadulterated, unchanged word of a God who is holy, holy, holy. The whole world is full of his glory and it's found here in his word to us, the scripture. And it's revealed to us in his son and by the Holy Spirit. Paul says we've not received a spirit from the world, but the spirit from God, that we may know the things that are given to us by God. Jesus said, also in John chapter 17 in this prayer, in verse 8, the words which you gave me, I've given them. They received them. They understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. Jesus was sent with the same message that God has given to us. And here in this prayer, what he's saying is that the words, the message was received. The goal was accomplished. That's why you and I can have confidence in the, in the prayer for us. Remember, in John 17, verse 18, he says, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Now, that means that when we declare the same message we can have every expectation and every confidence that we will have the same result. We can expect to find souls snatched from the pit of hell. People healed and restored. Demons freaking out when they see you coming because they know you come in Jesus' name. C.S. Lewis said this, my prayer is that when I die, all hell rejoice that I'm out of the fight. <laughs> and the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. You ready to rumble? Now we all know the message and I'm not going to spend time here this morning. Go, therefore, make disciples. You can probably quote it to me. Uh, I hope you know it that well. But note that it says, go, therefore. Now we're moving into my second point. We're, we are a sent people. Go, therefore. And the Greek tenses there uh, tell us that Jesus is actually assuming that 
we are doing this now. It's not go, it's going. Going, that's what disciples do. They're always on the go. Isaiah writes, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, who, who will go for us? Who will go for us? Our preparation for being sent is the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I keep saying that. Uh, I said that last week. And Peter tells us uh, that God has given us everything we need in the preparation that is given us. In 2 Peter chapter 2, this is one of Jerry's favorite passages, uh, Peter writes, everything pertaining to life and godliness, God has given us by his divine power through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Everything you and I will ever need. What's left out? He says, everything. Everything. So that we can go as a sent people and make disciples, give the message. In verse 18, and I read this before, and I know I've said it before, but you need to get this inside of you. In fact, you might go write it on your mirror somewhere, or above the way you make coffee. So every time you go there, you see that Jesus said, as you sent me in the world, I also have sent them into the world. And, and he repeats this actually in verse 20, in John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. We are sent in exactly the same way that Jesus was sent by the Father. In 4.17, 1 John 4.17, I've got it up there for you. Uh, John, the, the Apostle John writes this. As he is, so also are we in this world. So put those together. God is telling us that he sends us in the same way that the Father sent him so that in the world we will be like he is. Let that sink into your psyche, into your mind. Now what does that mean? As the Father has sent me and as he is, what does that really mean for us? Now, I looked at my TikTok and it's uh, to condense, I need to condense this a little bit. Perhaps sometime God will give us a time, but you can research the scriptures. As he is, so also are we in the world. As the Father has sent me, that's how I've sent you. That must simply mean, now listen to this, that must simply mean 
that everything that the Father gave to Jesus by the Holy Spirit to equip him, Jesus, and enable him, Jesus, to accomplish what he was sent to do becomes available for us as we are sent, just like he was. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so in the same way I am sending you. And as he is, so also we in the world, in 1 John 4, 17, must mean that we can have the expectation and the confidence that we can do things. We can move in the same power and the same authority of the Holy Spirit that Jesus did. Even raise the dead. Now, you don't believe that, but that's what Jesus did. And the scripture is telling us, as he is in the world, so are we. Go for it. Go for it. We can move in the same power and authority of the Holy Spirit that Jesus did. As we mature in our faith and our relationship with our Father and are transformed in our minds by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a download. <laughs> and I know you'll need to just uh, meditate on that for a while. But here's my point. 2020 was a tough year. Tough year in many ways. We don't know what 2021 has for us. 2020 turned out to be, in fact, a year of fear. Everywhere you read, people talk about the fear that has paralyzed people, especially of COVID-19, but for many different reasons, most of them related to what COVID-19 has imposed on our lives. I was amazed to find this. I, I Googled this uh, and found that the most Googled fear in 2020 was the fear of people. Think about that. You know, there are 365 fear knots in the Bible. I haven't counted them, but that's what they say. That's one for every day. Fear not. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And this is the burden that God has put on my heart for you. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. You can become an overcomer because he has overcome. You can have peace 
because it's his peace. You can take courage as you are sent into the world with his message, this message of hope and fear. I beg your pardon. Of hope and life. A message of hope and life. I know God speaking to many people this morning. He always does when his word is proclaimed. And so I ask you this morning, can you hear him? What's he saying? What's he saying to you in your own heart this morning? I hope that you'll say, ready to rumble. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your Holy Spirit takes the word and, and, and personalizes it in our own lives. We thank you for that. We, we just open our hearts to you and receive it for your glory. The Lord gave me a blessing to pray over you this morning for the year that, and the years that lie ahead. So I want to do that in obedience. I want to ask you, I'm so glad the children are here with us this morning. I think God worked that one out. So I want to invite you to stand as I, as I declare this blessing over you. Like the Old Testament priest did, raised his hand over you. And here's my blessing. Just receive it. May the peace of God and the freshness of the Holy Spirit Rest in your thoughts, rule in your emotions, and conquer all your fears. May God manifest himself to you in ways that you have never experienced before. May your hope be fulfilled and your prayers answered and your faith established in the word. May your territory be enlarged and may all that you do and say bring glory to God. May you mature in discernment and peace and health and happiness and prosperity and joy and the mercy and grace and love of God. And may the presence of Jesus be with you in 2021 and in all the years that lie ahead. In the name of the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.